You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Hey, Mitch! So today, Chris and myself uh, of the Geek Elite Media Network have been asked to be a part of the Yuma Art Center uh, discussion with the artists for the Heroes United Art Exhibit. Uh, from the Yuma Art Center is Vincent Higgins. Sorry if I uh, messed no, up that name a little bit. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for letting us be involved in this. And then uh, what is it that's important to be known about this exhibit right now? Well, a couple small factors are it is appointment basis only, so folks will have to make an appointment to come in and view, but they can do that easily at the UMAR Center website or Facebook, Instagram, however you want to reach out to us, we can host you and get you inside to view it. Um, and then it's just come and have fun and get an escape from the world. That's the key point. And what was it that you wanted uh, you know, to be said with this exhibit? It's, it's called Heroes United. Why was, why is it, why was it Heroes United? So our goal was to provide some small escape in the form of healing and unite all these artists, either from Yuma, the regional area of Arizona and San Diego, and just bring everyone together. And today, uh, as part one of our discussion with the artists, we have two of the featured artists, part of the exhibit. We have Vince Alvendia. Hi. <laughs> and Thomas Fernandez. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Why don't we go ahead and start with Vince here. Um, it's been a pleasure to get to chat with you over email. And when I was like checking out your work, it was a total pleasure to just go check out your website and see your other stuff. When you were happy to participate in the show, it was a joy to me. So thank you thank very you. much for coming in and thank you for participating in the art show. Um, I know it's a little far from you-ish, but with pandemic, everything's way farther. Yeah. Um, your work looks great. I think it goes really well with everyone else's work. And thank you very much. So if you have, yeah, I mean, we have plenty of time, but why don't you go just give us some background to yourself. I'd love to hear about your muses, artistic backgrounds, and we can just go from there. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for the opportunity. It was, it was pretty cool uh, when I got your email because I was like, I was like, oh, cool, a show, you know, because, you know, everything was shut down. And um, so, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm from San Diego, California. Um, that's where I'm based. That sounds weird. But anyway, <laughs> so I do a lot of local uh, shows. I do the show circuit here. Um, I'm an independent uh, comic book artist and illustrator. So when I got your email and I saw where it came from, I was like, dude, this is rad. This is going to be my first, like, true out-of-state out show. You know, so I definitely jumped on it. I was like, hey, I'm absolutely interested. And, of course, you know, it was right up my alley with, with the comic book and uh, popular art theme. But I've been drawing pretty much since I could pick up a crayon, since I saw the first Mighty Mouse cartoon and Tom and Jerry cartoons when I was a kid. You know, um, the, the one thing I remember drawing the most of and 
like really, um, I guess, focusing on trying to get better was when the, the original He-Man cartoon came out back in the early 80s. He-Man, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like in the second, like first through third grade, that's what I was known for in my class was one of the kids that could draw He-Man, you know. And um, being the weird immigrant kid that was kind of nerdy with the, you know, bowl cut, kind of really super awkward. That was my way into the social circles was that I was a kid that could draw. And um, and luckily enough, I, I had other fellow kid artists that were super cool. We had healthy, yeah, healthy competition on who could draw better. And we were really, um, really quick to share like whatever we learned with each other. It's like, hey man, I learned how to draw this better, draw that better. But, um, but it was like, uh, you know, coming from the Philippines, because I was born in the Philippines, I came over to the U.S. when I was about three to Hawaii, and I moved to San Diego when I was six years old. So it was like a total culture, every kind of shock you can think of. And art was my way into, like, introducing myself to other kids. You know, once they saw that I could draw something to them that was cool, um, they forgot about the accent or the funny clothes that I wore, the weird food I was eating. You know, I was just like the cool kid that could draw. Yeah. But, um, but uh, you know, just long story short, like, my biggest influences, um, drawing, first start with Marvel Comics. Um, my, the first superhero that I really followed was Spider-Man. And um, on the DC side, it was Shazam because of the TV yes. shows. Yeah, so. <laughs> Shazam, dude. Yeah, Shazam was like near and dear to my heart because of the variety show. Spider-Man was the first one I saw because they had that kind of goofy um, 70s one where he shot the web, web rope and they turned the camera sideways so it looked like he was crawling on the building and that kind of thing. Classic. And I did. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really uh, discover comic books actually until I was like in the fifth or sixth grade was when I first started buying comic books. And it wasn't even because of Spider-Man or Shazam. It was because of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So everything in my nerd, in my nerd life, and my my artistic influences happened around that time with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, getting into comics, and then getting into a- anime. Because that was around the time uh, Robotech premiered. Oh, wow. You know, before nice. that, I watched, yeah, I watched, you know, I was into Voltron and, and um, G-Force about the planets, whichever version you watched. But um, Robotech was my introduction to characters dying <laughs> and there being consequences to conflict rather than, you know, G.I. Joe jumping around, dodging lasers and doing flips and nobody ever dies. Um, so that opened up a whole world to me, um, not just through storytelling, like a different kind of t- storytelling, but just art-wise because it looked so different from what I was watching on TV. And then I think the biggest turning point for me um, was when I um, found the Robotech Art 1 book at Walden Books in the mall. And I perused through it. And, you know, of course, I was attracted to all the visual stuff and the character designs and all that. And then um, just one day in the summer, I got the balls to ask my mom if I could buy it. Because it was like, I think it was like a $30 book. And that was like a lot of money in like 1986. (laughs) Then I was like, you know, you know, my mom was like, hey, you look at that book a lot. I was like, yeah. I was like, do you think I can get it? She's like, yeah. Like, kind of said yes without a doubt. Like, shocked. I was like, oh, hell yeah. I'm going to jump on this watch. She says yes. And she's in a good mood for whatever. So, <laughs> so I spent, you know, a good part, part of the summer trying to redraw the drawings I saw in there and the screen grabs. And yeah. then I was like, you know what? There's words in this. Why don't I read it from cover to cover and see what it's about? And in the back end of the book um, was when I first saw the term Japanimation or anime. And then it was like, 
you know, then it referenced Star Blazers and Gotcha. I was like, oh, wait, I've been watching these. But as a kid, I assumed that they were American cartoons. I didn't know that they were imported from Japan. And it opened up a whole world of like, you know, of course, the animes that they listed in, in that part of the book, like Crusher Joe and Dirty Pair. I was like, okay, I got to find these. And then that led me into the VHS bootleg, you know, anime world <laughs> of untranslated or, or really bad, you know, fan subs from like, San Diego State, you know, of, of third generation um, animes. And it was, it was just crazy to see how much of a of an art form animation was overseas as compared to the U.S. where the market was like totally geared towards kids. You know what I mean? Mm. For the most part. I mean, you, you have like your heavy metals and all that, but that was like far and few between. Whereas in Japan on prime time, they had like adult or I wouldn't say adult, but more mature storylines yeah. in their anime. You know, and then so so creatively that just expanded my mind to like, oh, people do this for a living. People design characters for a living. That's that'd be a cool job. But then um, artistically, one of the biggest milestones in me learning how to draw was I discovered how to draw the Marvel way um, in my public library. And that was like, you know, before I was drawing basically what I would call a, a contour style. I'm doing that outline and filling it yeah. in and just kind of a patchwork of drawing a drawing. And when I when I checked out how to draw the Marvel way, that introduced me to construction and anatomy and perspective and foreshortening. Yeah. And it was like, it's like it was like introducing fire to the caveman for me. You know, it was like holy nice. cow. And my 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 personal style grew by leaps and bounds after that. And um, so you know, from then I was just like kind of focused. I want to do art for a career, do art for a career. But um, you know, as we all know, life has a weird way of taking weird twists and turns. Um, gave into my teenage angst um, for a while in college. I was an English major of all things, <laughs> kind of drifted away from art. Part of it was I fell out of anime at that time because um, if you guys remember in the mid to late '90s, everything was like a Pokemon clone or a Yu-Gi-Oh clone or oh, yeah. Cardcaptor Sakura. So it took me totally out of it, and I was like, I was kind of like sick of it, you know what I mean? And then I was also recovering from the image bubble bursting. You know, yeah. the image comics and the speculative market. And, you know, people are like, oh, man, you open that comic and be worth money. It's like, yeah, because I want to read it, dude. I'm like, I'm not trying to buy one to keep and one to read. I'm not I'm not that guy. You know, what I mean? <laughs> so the kids can go to so college I, off of the death of Superman later. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. And I think I was just burnt out on that whole scene. So I kind of derailed me from my goal for a little bit. And on top of that, my friends like were discovering drinking and partying. And I just kind of hit a rut. So I joined the Navy of all things, you know. Um, a, to, to pay my way through school and B, to just figure it out and get away from everything and get a whole new perspective. Um, went to the Navy. Again, life happened. Met, met a girl. Uh, got married, started a family. Um, went to went to college when I got out. I went to college. Um, funny enough, I had a reenlistment offer for 60 grand just to sign. That was the signing? Just, just to mm. sign. And, um, and I would have been on my way to a career in the Navy. My ex-wife and my parents talked me out of it, like, no, go back to school. So I went to um, the art academy in San Diego and studied oh, animation. Nice. Yeah. So I studied animation, but in the middle of that, um, got a divorce. And it was kind of like, you know, at, by that point, we had two kids. And the plan was totally derailed. And I just, I just had to find a way to support my kids, you know, and put food on the table. So I gave in and, and 
got what jobs I can, still doing freelance art on the side. Um, eventually fell into a corporate job, but still had this whole thing of trying to make it and break into the industry. I have a lot of friends from high school that are in the studio system. One of my best friends um, has worked for Warner and Disney, and he's tried to get me my foot in the door, but it's just that competitive and that hard, you know? And, um, you know, I, I recently remarried. Well, not recently. Shoot, we've been we've been dating for ten years, and we've been married for six. So, <laughs> my wife just gave me a dirty, dirty look. <laughs> because, babe, it just seems like yesterday. Okay. Well, congratulations <laughs> on your recent nuptials, man. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I was lucky enough that my my wife was super supportive. You know, I tested for those shows. I was on the brink of like just giving up, and like, man, this isn't. This just wasn't meant to be. And she's like, you know, just take a break from it, come back to it, you know, but take your time with it and see how you feel. And sure enough, like, I think I took up maybe a total of a month off of like not drawing anything. And I got the itch and I was like, I got to create something. I need to do something, you know, and then fast forward to about, uh, I want to say three years ago, um, I've been doing like, like really small freelance animation gigs for like, you know, commercial spots or like corporate events where you do like, you know, animated buffers. And I was kind of um, dipping my toe into like comics. Um, I was trying to put out a web comic, a failed web comic. I think at four restarts called Taco Salad. It just never caught because I just didn't have the time to dedicate to it at the time. So I couldn't keep it consistent enough to, to build a, a, a consistent audience. And I finally had to let it go. Um, but that gave me kind of experience in, in the comic book art form. So I kind of parlayed what I learned from animation into comic book, you know, through like learning how to storyboard and all that and just the visuals and framing. And I met an individual named uh, Dr. Janina Scarlett. And um, she was a budding pop psychologist at the time. Uh, she had just published a book called Superhero Therapy. And um, her, her specialty is PTSD. She worked with a lot of uh, ex-military and all that. But her biggest fandom is Harry Potter and um, the X-Men. And at the time, Sharp was, was um, she was part of their Sharp pain management program. And they were looking for a creative way to wean people off, the, off of their pain meds. And one way was to put out a mini comic with the program, showing how people could go through the program. And there was like a little story about people's struggles with it and how they could relate. And we clicked so well on that that when she eventually um, left Sharp to focus on her own practice, she had written um, a series of what was meant to be a series of fan- fantasy books um, based on, um, on a, like an underworld, was it an underworld X-Files kind of thing. And she meant it as, as a prose book. And her editor um, at the time was like, you know, this is kind of cool. This would make a really cool comic book. Would you, would you, have you ever thought of that? So when he put that out, she, it, it, you know, it got the wheels turning in her head. And she's like, yeah, that's actually a really cool idea. And um, she put the call out to a couple of artists she knew, myself being one of them, willed it down to three people, and I ended up winning out. And the comic book uh, is called Dark Agents, The Violet and the Trial of Trauma. And it's now currently available at any bookstore that's open and oh. on Amazon. <laughs> and we're trying to get into comic bookstores. Uh, it released this past March. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah. So, and 20, you know, COVID hit and it kind of derailed all the plans of like the comics, oh, oh, promotions and all that. Yeah. It was just super bad timing. And it was like a labor of love. I mean, blood, sweat and tears 
like before this, the longest comic I've ever drawn was maybe four to six pages. And this mm. is 142 pages. <laughs> Dang, well <Yeah>. done. <laughs> and down from like, I think 167. <laughs> so it, it was this publisher's first comic, my first like long format graphic novel and her first content. So we, we, we hit every bump that we could creatively trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah, definitely. But, um, but what was great about it, it was a great experience. Um, it's planned for eight books. So we have one under the belt. The second one is under review right now with the publisher and she's shopping that around. And in the meantime, I've illustrated a couple of her other books. Um, one is called therapy quest. It's kind of a choose your own adventure. I did the artwork for that. And, um, she put out a book called uh, Harry Potter Therapy, available on Amazon, and another book called Supernatural Therapy. So a lot of her stuff uh, revolves around relating fandoms and, um, and how it relates to how you can um, deal with your mental struggles and, you know, and conditions. Um, and she uses a form called, uh, I wish she was on this because she could create another one, but it's accept, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Uh, I think it's ACT for sure, but it's all about being in the present, being in the now, being grounded, you know. And I got to tell you, just working on the book and and you know, reading her writing, it's it's, it's funny because I call it like you learn something against your will, you know. Just drawing it, I was like finding myself like, oh man, like I'm stressing over a deadline. It's like, okay, just breathe. Where are your feet? You know, I'm like <laughs> I'm like using the the, the techniques that the she's in the book. story exactly. And that's the main the thing that, yeah, no, and, it's exa- <laughs> and that's kind of the reviews we were getting from people that have read the book was like, you know, we were pulled in by the story and it's a really cool comic. And then we find ourselves like actually um, using this, these techniques from the book without even realizing it, you know, like, oh, how would Violet deal with the situation? It's kind of similar to what she's going through. Or they would just subconsciously they'd be like, okay, breathe. Like, you know, where are you now? You're cool. You're, you're safe. And then they realized, like, oh, I didn't even know to do that until I read this comic. <laughs> so, so it's been a really cool journey, and um, I'm, I'm hoping to continue it. And uh, yeah, sorry, I can go on forever, but that, that's me in a nutshell. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, that was that was great. Yeah, uh, you can see how everything pours into your work, and it's solid. I'm glad we could have it in our show. Thank uh, you. So, thank, thank you very you. much for sharing and like talking about everything, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Hey, Vince, let me ask you this. You talked earlier about uh, being in grade school and using art to kind of, uh, you know, break the ice, so to speak, with uh, other kids and stuff like that. What was, do you remember the first time that, say, another person came up to you and, you know, you were able to converse about the art and what you were creating and then maybe even collaborated with them? Yes. Um, as a specific story, I really wish I'm old. <laughs> I really wish I remember the, the kid's name, but it was in, I want to say it was in the second grade. Maybe it was the first grade, but it was the first or second grade. And again, it was like, I just, I just come here over to, to California um, after spending a year in the Philippines. And um, I was like the shy, quiet kid for the first, you know, I want, I want to say month in school. And uh, it was a rainy day of all things. And, you know, you can't go out to play recess on rainy day. I was drawing at the table. And the kids were like, oh, you know, you're drawing. I was like, is that He-Man? I went, oh, yeah, this He-Man. And it was cool. And um, and there was another kid, it was a, a young uh, Mexican kid that could draw better than I could. And it was funny. And he was like, he was kind of like across the, you know, the table from me. And I didn't know he could draw. 
So we're both drawing and it, it was kind of like, oh, you know, look what he's doing, look at what Vince is doing. And internally I was like, oh man, my, my status as the class artist is in danger. <laughs> I can't let this happen, you know? <laughs> so I kind of sidled up next to him and I'm like looking at him and I'm like, and his, his drawing was, you know, if I'm being honest, it was like leagues better than what I was doing. And then shyly I asked him, I was like, how do you make it look like that? Like, how do you do the muscles that look so cool? Because up until then, I'm just drawing bumps that look like muscles. And he looked, his anatomy looked like actual kind of anatomy, you know, for, for a second grader. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you do these two squares like this for the chest. And then you do this for the arms. And he was, he was super nice and super kind that he, without even hesitating, he was like, yeah, this is how I draw it. You know, and then from then on, we were next to each other drawing and like, look what I did, look what I can do. That's cool. And, his, and, and he would be like, oh, how'd you do that? But more often than not, it was me saying, dude, how'd you, how'd you draw that? That's rad. How did you make it look like that? And, um, and you know, from then on, I just had a knack of finding the artist in the class. And I've been really, really fortunate. I've never run into uh, another artist, you know, from, from grade school all the way to college where they were guarded or like, man, I don't, you know, I got techniques or I got secrets that I want to keep or whatever, you know, or they were super competitive say you know right say. right they're they're all they're, every conversation i've had with an artist i've interacted with has always been like super um helpful and collaborative like they've never been scared to show me their techniques or or give me advice or show me how to do something better you know and and for the Yuma Art Center Heroes United uh, exhibit, you your your pieces focus on uh, the Spider Verse movie, right? Miles Morales, yes. Gwen, uh, Spider Gwen, stuff like that. It was was there something specific about that movie or those characters that just talked to you that you needed to needed to create something like that? Or yeah, I mean, honestly, of all the movies, of all the Spider Man movies, they're my Spider Verse is my favorite. I can't wait mm-hmm. for the sequel. Um, a, you know, without getting too much into it, representation matters. It was great seeing a person of color as a protagonist. And, and his, you know, Miles Morales' blackness slash Hispanicness, you know, or Latino-ness was part of his character, but it wasn't shoehorned in. It was like, it was, it was just part of his character and they didn't have to like, how do I say it? It wasn't tropey as in like, I'm black, I'm black, or I'm a person of color, I'm a person of color. He just happened mm-hmm. to be a person of color, and they wrote him like a person, number mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So so yep. the character was well-written. And then just visually, I didn't know that a CG comic movie could look like that. You know, up until then, like, I, I think the, the only cartoon hero movie to impress me was, was The Incredibles. You know, just from the look and the style of it, but lean heavily on that kind of retro, you know, design. And here you got this, this cool movie based on Spider-Man, which is, a, like I said, one of my first, you know, favorite heroes. And then the way they just executed it. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched like the behind the scenes stuff, how their goal was to, um, to make like, if you pause it at any point, it would look like a panel from a comic book. And like, they definitely, you know, accomplished that. And the, the, he was just such a likable character, and it it it's it hit such a chord with me. And I think about it a lot, you know, as far as whenever I do any kind of pop culture or comic book oriented show, the first thing I want that pops in my head is Spider Verse or Spider Gwen, 
And I, and, and for me, Spider Gwen is just because I love how they flipped it on its head. Mm-hmm. How, how, you know, Gwen is the one that got the powers and Peter was a love interest and, you know, his tragic end. And I kind of like that angle of seeing, seeing a different side of it, you know. But yeah, yeah, that, I mean, by far, of all the Marvel movies to come out, um, Spider-Verse is my favorite one right now. And, and when you're drawing a character from the Spider-Verse, like, obviously, those characters tend to get in very different, like, body positions. What did you do to <laughs> uh, uh, research what the human anatomy looks like in a crouching, you know, position like that to draw? Well, it's funny because in my piece, I, 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 um, I wanted to stay away from like the super posy, crazy, contorted stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and cause I was going to do that. I was going to do like his crazy ankle behind his ear type, you know, Todd McFarlane, right. You know, pose. <laughs> and I thought I was like, you know, I want to kind of stand out a little. So I want to do like a quiet moment. And one of the first thing that popped to my head is like, you know, even heroes got to eat. True. Hero, so I, so I, so I drew him. Um, sitting on a building, you know, eating a burger, having a shake. And what's funny is, you know, of course I want to make it, I want to make him identifiable. I, I want to have nods to the style that he was drawn in in the movie and in the comic books with my twist on it, of course, and my style. But um, the most research I did, and you don't even really see it because you only see a piece of the shoe, was I had to break out my Jordan 1s <laughs> to make sure that the shoes look convincing enough, you know, um, if you go on my website, there, there's a print that I did of, of of the scene where he takes his leap of faith, where he finally accepts his powers and he dives off the building and learns how to web sling and all that. And there's that that awesome song, you know, that lyric, you know, can't stop me now. And it's like, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. <laughs> but, but it's funny because the hardest part of that drawing wasn't the anatomy or the background. It was getting the Nike shoes right. Because <laughs> I didn't realize... I don't think any of us realize how iconic those shoes would become because of the movie. I mean, they mm-hmm. were iconic just for me, Michael Jordan shoes to begin with first, but then for them to be in the movie and licensed and it's a, like a Nike shoe in the movie and it's, and it's a really big part of its character, you know, cause like his first day in school where, where he's trying to fit in at that new Academy and you know, a girl's like, Hey, your shoes untied. And he's like, yeah, I know it's kind of a choice, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? which is one of my favorite moments in the movie. But yeah, that was the hardest part was was trying to get the shoe right. <laughs> Tom over here. Uh, same thing. Thanks for participating in the show. I was really happy when you got back to me that you could give me some art. And you gave me a ton of art. So that was super. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes! <laughs> thank you so yeah. much for that. No, thank you, man. And... Uh, just like Vince, why don't you go ahead and just start off? Tell us a little bit about, about yourself, family mm-hmm. background, art, muses. Okay. Um, so uh, much like I think all artists, I was an awkward kid. Uh, so I think that's one thing all artists have in common. Um, I grew up a bit differently. Um, I grew up here, uh, Phoenix, Tucson, Mammoth, kind of all over the place. My dad worked in mines, so we kind of like traveled a lot for work. And um I grew up uh, kind, of, kind of strange. Um, so my parents, uh, for lack of a better term, were, were cholos and cholas. So for those of you out there in the internet, they were Mexican gangsters. So that's kind of where I was coming from. So you didn't get a lot of uh, nerd stuff in my house because that was frowned upon. You know, you like comic books, uh, you know, even uh, <laughs> one thing, like kind of give you a glimpse into, uh, you know, uh, Mexican households back in the early 80s. 
uh, they had a term schoolboy. So if you like to read, if you like to do stuff, you were considered the schoolboy, which was a bad term. You know what I'm saying? So you don't want to be a schoolboy. You want to be considered that. And I totally was. Uh, so <laughs> I was just the, the weird kid, you know, fat nerd with glasses who, uh, you know, kind of did my own thing. Um, so as a result, I didn't have many friends growing up. So I kind of, you know, kept to myself and kind of, you know, uh, did my own thing kind of. And I, I kind of still like that, but, uh, you know, I think I've gotten better at it. Um, so I don't remember what I did, but we were living in Phoenix and we were, we were poor. So the neighborhood we lived in was really rough. So I wasn't allowed to go outside and play and I was in trouble. So I basically was grounded for an entire summer. And I didn't grow up drawing. Like it's something that I always did, but I think I must have been about six or seven at this time. And uh, I wasn't allowed to go outside and we, you know, we were poor, so we didn't have cable. So we had the, the TV that had like, you know, the free channels you got for free. And I remember one of the channels, uh, you know, all morning would just show Looney Tunes. And so I went and I, I think after the first month, I'd seen every Looney Tunes cartoon that ever been created. Uh, so I, I got bored with it. And but there was nothing else for me to do. So I, then I just started looking at the TV. And one day I just grabbed a pen and a pencil and I was sitting there in front of the TV, you know, eating my bowl of cereal uh, and just started drawing them. And obviously, you know, when I started, it was horrible. Um, but I mean, it was something to do to pass the time. And after a couple, like the last two, three months of, of summer, um, I got decent at it. So you can actually look at it and like, oh, that was Bugs Bunny. That was Daffy or, you know, whoever, whatever cartoon I was looking at. It actually started to look like the characters. And so I went back to school and then uh, stopped drawing again and then discovered hip hop. So uh, not only, I also do hip hop music, uh, I'm an MC and I actually got into hip hop through graffiti. So I met a couple, uh, you know, Kids, I, I think it must have been about 10, 10 years old at this time. So so kids were doing graffiti and stuff. And that's one of the things that I, you know, loved because I was like, man, this thing is beautiful. Um, so I basically just became a graffiti artist without a budget. So that means I couldn't afford spray cans. We had to steal them. Um, and I remember I would just get in trouble at school because I would just draw on the desk all day. Like not on the paper, just, you know, I don't want to waste paper. And then I would just wouldn't pay attention in school. So then I would just draw on the desk. And I remember I got in trouble and, you know, my parents got called to school because, I literally like just drawn on the entire surface of my desk. And it was all like, you know, the graffiti style is more like uh, more extreme. So like more harder angles and like, you know, extreme, you know, points of view. So all of my characters were like that, you know? And so I got in trouble, wasn't allowed to have a pencil in class for a while. <laughs> so I had to like mentally keep notes, you know, in my head or whatever, which made me remember things. Like I actually have my memory a lot. And then as I got older, I uh, just started concentrating more on the hip hop part as opposed to the art part. Like I still was doing graffiti and I don't know if you know, but we have black books. So one thing that uh, graffiti artists would do is they would carry a little black book around, which is you know, a black cover and then just blank pages inside. And one thing we would always do back in the day is you met a new writer or a new graffiti artist, you would exchange your black book. So I'm like, Hey man, hit up my piece. And I would hit up theirs, whatever. And my lettering is trash. So <laughs> instead of doing lettering, I would just do characters. So then after a while, we just kind of did that for a while and it kind of helped me just you know, get my graffiti technique down. And I started doing the actual music part of it. So I started DJing, started MCing, started producing, and just kind of country the neck, kind of let the graffiti fall by the wayside. And so well, as I country on that, um, I would still always draw. Like I'd always have like a, net, a notebook with me, and I would always, you know, while I'm thinking or listening to something else, I'd always be doing that. One thing that I do now, even while we're doing this interview, I'm editing software on the side, just I can't always just stick and do one thing, like is the way my brain works. So... I started doing music and then, you know, in secret, I would, you know, buy comic books and read them. It was still not cool then. It was still frowned upon. Um, when I was a kid, I, my cousins gave me, you know, they got out of comic books. They were too cool for that. And they gave me three long boxes. 
of uh, just, you know, all kinds of like classic comics. Um, so that's where I discovered Swamp Thing. So Swamp Thing is one of my all-time favorite characters. And this, the one I read was a Swamp Thing annual where Chris Claremont wrote it. And it just changed my, it blew my entire mind. Um, so there's your, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a Swamp Thing annual number like five or whatever. And in the story, um, Swamp Thing's girlfriend was murdered. And so Swamp Thing and the demon uh, decide to go to hell to bring her soul back. And so it's Chris Claremont writing about hell and stuff, and it's beautiful. And I can't remember, I can't think of the name of the artist right now, but everything is very whimsical and mythical and, you know, everything looks like a painting. And there's a part, and this is a part that kind of like stuck with me to this day, and this is why I'm into horror. Um, there's a part where, you know, he's going through and he's meeting these people that he's killed in the past that, you know, were criminals or people that, you know, he had to kill to save other people. And he comes across the person that had killed his girlfriend. And in hell, he was basically turned into shit. So there's a big pile of people matter and like eggs, like flies are just flying into and laying their eggs. And then, you know, they're, you know, hatching from that egg and then flying out. He's feeling all of this. So that's his torment. And so he sees this one thing and he starts laughing. He's like, ah, you know, you know, talking about his torment and how it's all worth it because, you know, he saw the look on Swamp Thing's face. And he's like, you know, how long has he been? Like two, three hundred years? And Swamp Thing's like three minutes. And then it just breaks that guy's mind. And he's, you know, screaming, you know, realizes that, you know, how much longer his torment's going to be. And that part kind of, you know, I was like, man, that's really good writing. And like, I, like I said, it was like 10 or 11 at the time. And that just, I was like, man, I'm all about horror now. <laughs> so I always had like a love for horror. And then I would always, you know, read comics like on the secret because again, it wasn't cool. And I was concentrating, I was doing music. So I had to, I had to be cool, you know, in order for me to be successful at it. And so that went along for a while. Um, the world changed and, uh, you know, comics became cool again. Uh, I still always was drawing and I would always write stories, like short stories myself. I hadn't actually drawn a comic though. Um, so as I got older, I kind of got, you know, got away from the music thing and uh, started a family. So, uh, you know, started a family, uh, had to work a corporate job to make sure that rent was paid and people were fed and all that good jazz. Uh, that fell apart. And so I kind of, you know, whenever my cycles and cycles and everything, everything falls apart, I pick up a new art. So then, I didn't want to do music anymore. So then I started doing uh, art again, like, you know, painting and drawing, but not comics, uh, you know, just anything I could think of, you know? And as, you know, time went on and I, you know, got more and I got into comics again, just started reading this is right around uh, civil when the first civil war happened. Um, so I, you know, got back into comics right around that time and just kept doing it, kept reading it. And I was still, you know, drawing, painting, and, you know, whatever I could just to you know, kind of keep my mind centered. And, uh, I met a friend of mine by the name of Dan, and uh, he was a uh, deviant art artist. So that's how he made his money, was uh, basically drawing porn for other people online. And so uh, we were friends or whatever, and we were, he was telling me about all the crazy stuff that people would have him draw and paint. And he was like, you know, I'm paying my rent with this, but I, real, I feel really bad about it. And so I'm like, man, that's cool. Well, at least you get to, you know, do art for them. That's awesome. And so we started kicking an idea around. I think we were at his house and we were drinking one day. And just thought of like the most ridiculous premise of a comic book you can think of. And he was like, what about, what about a lumberjack nun? And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So, so then, you know, we thought it was the stupidest thing ever. So then kind of laughed it off. And then a couple years later, I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, that would be a ridiculous premise. But that done the right way. It could be something that could be cool. Um, so I just started writing down ideas. Me and him would go back and forth and kind of chop it up. Uh, just And at this point, it was just an idea. Just a rough, you know preliminary idea or whatever, nothing that was concrete. So life went on 
uh, got married, had a family. And then all during that time, I would always uh, make what I call my codex. So I think about this world and I would think about, you know, what I want to reflect. And obviously my, my loves, you know, were movies, horror, music, hip hop, you know, all of that. And I would try to incorporate that into the world that was building this thing. And at this point, I didn't even think it was going to be a comic. Just something that I did in my spare time to kind of help me pass the time or, you know, get my mind centered or whatever. So I started building this world. And one of the things I always loved was X-Files, like one of my favorite shows of all time. And the best thing about X-Files, I, I hated the main, you know, alien conspiracy storyline. It never appeals to me. Every one of those episodes that popped up, I would just, you know, fast forward past. But what I loved, though, was the monster of the week idea. So every week when they'd have like a new monster or a new, you know, baddie or, you know, some type of thing that they were fighting, I loved that. And then I would watch, go back and I watch old shows like Cold Jack and stuff like that and just all types of things like that because that was always in my, my wheelhouse. And I got the idea. I was like, well, what if I make this like a monster of the week book forever? And I was like, all right, well, what kind of monsters do I put in there? And then I started doing research and I researched, you know, the monsters and myths of America and then, you know, monsters and myths of the Philippines and Mexico and Africa and just kind of, you know, looking at the different monsters that are around the world. And I was like, all right, I want to put all of this in my book. So then I started, you know, researching it, you know, making my, what I call my codex, which is basically just listing of everything that's going to happen in the book. Um, so it was, you know, the characters I'm going to have, what the monsters are like, why these monsters are different in this world, you know, what the basic, you know, timeline is going to be, what, you know, beats I want to hit. And at this point, nothing had been drawn. It was just me thinking of an idea. And so... I did this for like 10 years, uh, just, you know, thinking of the idea like, oh, this would be cool. Oh, this would be cool. But never really thinking I would ever do it. Um, so time went along. I, again, I was married, had a kid, and then got divorced. So then world kind of fell apart again. And so whenever that happens, I'm like, all right, well, it's time to restart and, you know, kind of pick everything back up. And at this point, you know, whenever that happens, picking back up the story, means, all right, I'm going to start some type of art project. I'm going to do something artistic. Um, still wasn't back in the, uh, the music yet. And, uh, I was like, well, you're writing this, why don't you just make a comic? And then I was like, yeah, why don't you just make a comic? And then I realized I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know anybody who knew how to do that. I didn't have any resources or think of like, you know, a way to do it myself. So I sat there and kind of was like, all right, well, when I started doing music, we put out albums and I didn't know how to record an album. I didn't know how to mix or record or master. And we kind of just figured it out on the fly and ended up doing it. I was like, why can't I do that with comics? You know? And then I sat there and thought, you know, do I want to, I, I would look online and see, read other people's stories about how they got into comics and, you know, people talking about they would, you know, submit their, you know, drawings to such and such person at DC or Marvel or they would go to cons or they would do stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, well, that's cool, but I can't go to cons. You know, I have, I have a newborn baby that I have to, you know, I have uh, custody on, so I can't really be going to cons right now. Um, I don't have any connections or, you know, anything like that. And so I, I just kind of looked at it like, like, you know, out of the trunk sell, like they're saying about, like, you know, you're going to make an album, you're going to make it yourself, you're going to sell out the trunk, you're going to, you know, sit there and do everything yourself because you don't really need uh, a company for that. And uh, I kind of took the same approach to comics. Like, well, if I did that with music, I can do that with comics. I can figure out how to do this myself and not really, you know, follow someone else's methods. Like, I've always been kind of punk rock and, like, you know, anti-establishment. Uh, with my corporate job, it really goes against the grain of what I do every day, but um, I've always thought of like, when it comes to my art or just doing something, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to wait for somebody. I'm not going to sit there and like, you know, this is how it's supposed to be done. A, B, C, follow these steps. And then, so I'm probably doing it, you know, backwards and <laughs> you know, not the most productive way I could think of. Um, but I just did it. And so I sat down one day and just, you know, started after I had everything written and what I wanted the story to be, 
And I started just sketching out the, the characters and what I wanted those to look like. And it was trash. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, well, this is asked, so I should probably quit. And I'm like, no, you know. And I kind of have to remind myself, anytime you start something new, it's always going to be, you know, horrible. Your first whatever is going to be the worst thing ever. And then you just keep doing it and it's going to get better. It's not that I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint. It's just that I realized that, like, comics is a whole other, uh, you know, media. Um, you have to know, you know, body language. You have to know posing, um, backgrounds. One thing I never really thought of. Uh, you know, sitting there like, okay, I want this person to be in a forest. Like, oh crap, how the fuck do I draw a forest? You know, or how should I do this or that? And so there's a lot of that. Just kind of like training myself until I thought I was good enough to do something like that. Um, so I already had, like at this point, I already have like the entire, you know, history of the book written. So um, I was like, all right, well, I'm just starting with issue one. So I started issue one and I did it analog where, you know, I went and just got uh, researched online to see who I can buy as far as the actual comic book panels go um, and just did it, you know storyboarded it, um, drew it out, did it all, you know, inks and pens and markers and, you know, all the old school analog stuff. And it took forever. And not that I didn't mind it taking forever, uh, but I was just like, okay, if I'm serious and I want to do this, I need to do it faster than in this style. Um, don't get me wrong, I still love to draw like analog and, you know, love to paint physically and all that stuff. And um, But it just was something that if I wanted to do it, like I don't have a lot, of, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of time. So, you know, I'm being a single dad, having a full-time job, and then trying to do this on the side. Like it takes a long time. I'm sure Vince can attest, man. It takes a long time to do a page if you're doing it, you know, analog. So um, I did the first issue and you know, it was done for probably like a year before I even printed it up. Uh, just because I was like, all right, well, I did it. Great, like the issue's done. But then I didn't realize that there's a whole other step on that. Like, okay, well, how do I get it printed? How do I get it online? How do I get into people's hands? And then I had to learn that aspect of it. I'm like, okay, well, what do I do for this? Um, so then after about a year of having a completed first issue, I finally ended up uh, finding somewhere to print it up myself and then kind of put it up. And again, it was just, you know, out of the trunk. So it was just me selling it to people I knew. Um, here in Yuma, there's one comic book store. Uh, well, one place that sells comic books aside from Hastings. So I called them like, hey, can I put my comic in your shop? And they said no. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, Rejection is going to be part of the game, I'm sure. So then I just kind of continued doing that. Um, I met, uh, you know, I, I still haven't gotten in the, I met the owner of MetaHumans at the last Comic-Con that was available, I guess, to the public for YumaCon. Um, so I'm going to put it up there. I just haven't had a chance to get out to San Diego uh, or to El Centro to get that done. Um, been talking to a few people online and a few stores that said they'll sell, which, you know, I'm happy about. So I'm like, okay, well, I have issue one done. Um, now it's, what am I going to do? So I decided to do issue two. Um, but I decided because I'm really smart uh, to just go ahead and do it all digital because I've never done digital art before. <laughs> so then I had to learn digital art. And I did issue two, and it has a very different look and style than issue one did. Um, that's because it's the first thing I ever drew digitally, which is, you know, like learning how to, you know, walk all over again, basically. <laughs> so I learned how to do that. And then, you know, did that for a while and then got involved with uh, my local art group here. So um, I also help run uh, Yuma Artists United, which is like a Facebook group where, um, you know, we just basically uh, other artists inter interacting, kind of, you know, sharing techniques and stuff, much like Vince was talking about. Um, so I have a group from there that I meet with on a regular basis. So we just kind of, you know, linked up and started doing stuff like there. So I'm collabing with them on a lot of stuff. Um, and finally, I was like, okay, well, I got these two. Um, I take a long time to put an issue out. And that's because I'm <laughs> never focused on just one thing, unfortunately, which is, you know, my Achilles heel. Um, so then... Uh, the pandemic hit, uh, everything shut down and, you know, I'm working from home now. I'm like, all right, well, I'm working from home. I might as well just 
fraud while I work. And that's what I've been doing. So I've been able to get like three more issues done. Um, I also, you know, have my, my main book, which is Lumberjack Men. And then uh, I have an anthology book or series I'm doing too, which is uh, called Forgotten Tales, which is like just horror anthologies, like much like watching the old 70s anthology movie, just little short stories throughout. Um, recently did a, uh, it's called the 10,000 Hour Challenge. Um, so there's a comic uh, website out there called Platform Comics where they put out competitions for comic creators. And the most recent one was like a seven day challenge where um, you, on one day you're given uh, the one line you have to incorporate into your book. And then you have uh, a theme given to you that same day. So once you're given that, you have uh, 10 days to create like a 10 page or no, seven days to create a 10 page comic. Um, so you have to build a team and then with your team, you know, create that comic and submit it. So we did that recently. Didn't win, but, you know, it was, it was a cool learning experience. And I don't really collab with a lot of other uh, creators when it comes to the comics. It was fun kind of doing that and learning other people's techniques and you know, how to, you know, meet a deadline with another crew. So that was really fun. Um, other than that, no, just uh, just doing that. I uh, have a few other collaborative comics we're working on right now that aren't ready yet. And then on top of that, uh, we do a podcast. Uh, so Geek Elite is, uh, if I ever considered us having a, a sister podcast, it'd be Geek Elite. Uh, we have Geek Network where we talk about, uh, you know, all things nerdy, really. So we have like uh, the show I'm in charge of is binge watching where we talk about uh, movies, TV, stuff like that. Uh, we have a comic book show that my homie Keith takes care of. And uh, that's, you know, called We Have Issues, all about comics and literature and things like that. Uh, we have a video gaming website uh, about called Respawn Ready. And then we have a music uh, webcast uh, called Infinite Playlist. So uh, between that and everything else in life, I basically just don't sleep, but I love it. Like, I I can't not create if that makes any sense. Um, whether it's, you know, going to be music or comics or art or painting or, like, I always have to be doing something. My, my brain won't let me not do something. Like, I know a lot of people sit there and they feel like, oh, if I waste a whole day, I'm not productive. And I don't really think of it that way. Like, if I go a day without doing something artistic, then I feel like I was productive that day. Whether just like a sketch or a doodle or something or whatever the case may be, like, you know, like I said, I always have to do something creative. Um, so with that said, I'm also uh, got back in music recently and uh, we're now working on a new album. So we'll see how much comic can I get done with uh, all this stuff going on. But uh, I'm excited, man. Like it's the most creative I've been in years. And I'm actually the, the happiest I've been in years too, just because I finally scratching that creative itch with all, you know, the energy I can message. So, you know, being a part of this is a, is a great honor. So well, I, I was very curious. I noticed that you mentioned uh, like Swamp Thing and Chris Claremont and yeah. with you doing uh, Lumberjack Nun. So would you feel mm -hmm. that that kind of like, especially with, you know, just that, that moody vibe of Swamp oh, yeah. Thing and then Chris Claremont really loves to mm -hmm. delve into the soul. Do you think that yeah. kind of gave you a lot of like, oh man, that, that pointed you in that direction and connected oh, you? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like when I think about it, I'm like, okay, how could I make this as Chris, you know, Claremont-y? Because I'm not, as good of a writer as Chris Claremont, I'm never going to make that <laughs> that that boast. Um, so I'm like, all right, I'm an okay writer, uh, I'm an okay artist, but I want to make something in that vein. So you know, doing the having the Claremont inspiration, not only that, but like anything Claremont's really done has always been my favorite thing. Like, you know, looking at my bookshelf, I have the entire Dark Dark Phoenix saga. You know, pretty much everything that he's done, like I have, and uh, like I said, Chris Claremont is just an incredible writer because before that, we didn't really have writing like that in comics. Everything was really, you know, still kitty and stuff. But Claremont was like, no, I'm going to make this art form. And he did. He elevated the, you know, the series to the part. Where I think every writer from then on kind of owes a little bit something to Claremont, kind of elevating the game at that point. Um, but yeah, man, I think that had a, a really big effect. Um, one thing in art that, you know, I was trying to, you know, think about is, am I copying something or am I making something original? 
And then, you know, always people are thinking like, oh, there's really no original ideas of that, which I kind of agree with and I kind of not. Like, you can take, you know, like this, one of the reasons I like horror is you look at any horror movie, there's a million slashes. There's a million, you know, zombie movies, vampire movies, you know, whatever you want to say, it's been done a thousand times. Um, one of the things I like about horror, though, is that the good stuff is really good. So you can have a million vampire movies, but then you make a vampire movie that's original and kind of, you know, outside of the box and outside the norm, and that becomes a great movie. Um, you know, a lot of things I like about horror too is that they're always notoriously underfunded. So any horror movie you watch, you know, has a really low budget. And that's kind of what I try to go like, okay, I'm not going to have a budget for this. I'm not going to have money. How can I do this the best I can without any of that? Um, so it's kind of the reasons why I did that. But I, I totally agree, man. Chris Claremont and Swamp Thing, and which is kind of the reasons I was a little let down by the Swamp Thing series. I don't know if you guys watched it on the DC app. I was 100% in for it. And after the first episode, I'm like, yes. And then it became the Abby Kane show. And yeah, that's, that's, that's another show, but, <laughs> but I totally agree. Yeah. So Swamp is always one of my favorites. Do you feel, do you like, cause I noticed like, I was very interested like looking at Chris Claremont, like he had some mm-hmm. in his younger years struggles with religion. Did you ever like, do you feel that, that religion? I'm just curious. Does it play yeah. into your art, your story? It totally does. No. Um, so in this case, I was raised Catholic. I'm no longer practicing Catholic. Um, I would consider myself to be Christian, but at the same time, I'm not like, I have friends that are, you know, atheist, uh, Muslim, um, you know, the whole thing. And I'm not one of those people that, you know, touts the Bible and it's going to throw it down your throat or whatever. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. Cause I don't, I don't believe that person. I think you can be, you know, Buddhist, Muslim and get to whatever your version of, of heaven is or whatever, you know? So uh, it's going to play into the, like, obviously my main character is wearing a uh, uh, makeshift nun's outfit. So I, I would assume that, you know, people would assume that there was going to be, you know, religious aspects of it. And that, you know, as part of the, the book that I'm mapping out, um, so it is going to be religious context to it, but at the same time, it's not going to be overtly religious. Uh, like the main character, um, Maria, um, she, you know, is wearing an unsavory. You get to figure out why she's wearing that that, uh, that outfit. But she is an atheist, like, you know, bisexual. She smokes cigars, you know. Um, sorry, I had a call come through. Let me close that real quick. Okay. <laughs> so then, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's going to play into it, but it's not going to be the main crux of it, um, especially with, you know, me getting delving into like uh, monsters and mythology of other countries. Um, I wanted other religions to play a fact. Like, like Vince was saying, I think representation is important. Um, so my main character is, you know, a half Mexican, half Filipino woman. Um, you know, there's going to be people in the book that are of different nationalities, different sexualities, backgrounds, and kind of thing we never really got before. Um, because one of the things I think was important to me is the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's different when a character looks like you. Um, like, you know, what Vince was saying about, uh, you know, Miles Morales, I think that's a fantastic character, you know. I don't think we have enough representation in comics and movies in general, uh, which is, you know, one of the reasons I, uh, you know, really felt the the, the loss of uh, Mr. Bo, uh Chadwick there, you know. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, but at the same time, it's a great legacy that he put down because, you know, obviously there's a positive role model for young, you know, kids of color now that wasn't there before. And I think we're on the right track where that's, you know, becoming more and more prevalent. And that's kind of what I want to do in my book as well. And I think that also includes religious representation. So. Yeah, because I, I know myself, like I'm very, I love a story because mm-hmm. it's funny, like I think when we all get into comic books, like when Vince was saying like, man, I remember mm-hmm. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle craze, you know, it was like yeah. you're meeting up in third grade and you're trading off your turtle comics. Mm-hmm. You know? And at first it really is, it's, it's all about that because it, it didn't even click with me right away with image. Yeah, it's artists. Totally yeah. makes sense why they call themselves image. But uh, I think really for me, like Kingdom Come, Mark Wade, like, because, yeah, you have beautiful story, beautiful art, beautiful spectacle. 
But when you get that story that 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 you know, and again, religion is religion. But right. when you have that soul searching, that 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 redemption seeking, or whatever, mm-hmm. that 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 odyssey that a character goes through, I think that's beautiful stuff. So it's it's really exciting oh, to hear that when you're mentioning some of those titles because it's like, yeah, that's that's the stuff I think that we we secretly drive into comic books. You know, it's like, all right, mm-hmm. this is cool. Like, yeah, man, my day was crap. All right, let me read about somebody else's crappy day. <laughs> gonna look so much cooler <laughs> yeah totally so and it's escapism you know i think especially now like you know when the world fell apart people didn't turn to bankers or you know people didn't turn to you know ceos they turned to artists you know when you're stuck in your home during a pandemic you binge watch everything you can you read everything you can or listen to any type of music that makes you feel better because that's what art's supposed to do whether it's comics or music or whatever like you know you experience it and you feel it because it makes you feel a certain way and you know that's going to be different for everybody like you know you could read my book and you know, get a religious aspect. Someone else can be like, oh, cool. He chopped that zombie in half of the next, you know, or, and that's both are valid. You know what I'm saying? Both experiences are right. But I think that's the important thing about art is that, you know, it's there to provide people with that, you know, that, that feeling that, because uh, I, I think in essence, that's what makes everybody human is that feeling. Like, you know, you, everybody's going to have something they love, whether, you know, whatever, no matter what religion or, or language you speak or whatever, if you find something you connect with other people, like that's going to be something that connects you as humans. You know, whether it's a song or a book or a movie, like, you know, that's something that everybody can relate to. So that's kind of one of the things I want to do. Not, not saying that mine's going to be earth strengthening or, you know, change the planet or people or anything like that, but just to contribute uh, anything to that type of uh, zeitgeist. Well, you know. it helps because, like, even going back to Vince's project, I think that's mm-hmm. really exciting because it yeah. kind of actually reminds me of, like, Will Eisner because back in the right. day, or two happening they they drafted i mean i from playwright was the title but it's like you would have these guys come in and it's like okay we got to get this information to a, a young kid soldier how can they do it comic books you know right. so ps monthly would come out and it was like mm-hmm. you know here's these quick one pagers that show you and and i think really looking at that yeah with with what's going on with a lot of ptsd and other mental uh roadblock strategies issues I think that's great to use, like you even said too, Tom, that escapism to help yeah. you because that way it's it's entertaining, but it's getting that message across. Because yeah, I, as a teacher, it's like you can sit there all day mm-hmm. long, like, "Hey, check it out! Here's math! Here's math!" But then yeah. somebody else, you know, MC Escher comes along, and kids are like, right. "Oh!" And you're like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, and that's what it does, man. Because I mean, like you said, kids, you know, don't like to be talked to; they like to be communicated with. Nothing there's a difference, and that's I think what art does a lot of times. So, like you said, you can give throw numbers at them all day. Um, but like you said, you show you show them NCS Escher and all of a sudden it, it clicks for them where like a light comes on in their brain because that's them being communicated with on a, on their soul level. You know what I'm saying? Um, and like like what Vince is saying, I like could think a project like like he was talking about is really important. Um, I can't you know count the number of times that, you know people have not been given the just due because in America we think that you know that uh, you know the uh, mental health issue is something that's shameful or taboo or something like that. And a lot of times people don't get seek the help they need because they don't want to be labeled as that. And I think a book like that is important because you could have somebody who maybe is dealing with these issues may not know what it is exactly because they don't want to you know, be seen as a weirdo or a freak because they go seek this, you know, mental health help. And there's a comic book for that, you know, where there is, you know, something they can pick up, they can read, they can see themselves in and like, oh, OK, this is what it is. Maybe I should, you know, do X, Y, Z to get better. Or maybe if I want to change this, there's that, you know, so I think that's super important. man. I think any medium that you can use to help people with whatever the issue is, is important, you know, no matter how minute or silly you might think that is, you know, there's, there's something out there for everybody. So I'm uh, curious, a question I want to throw out both of you guys, what mm-hmm. would you say overall, like if you could, cause again, I really love that how you made that connection when you're first mm-hmm. meeting people, especially when you can bond over the art. So if you mm-hmm. could ever have a moment to sit down with any artist 
you know, painters, comic books, any, any artist, who would you really want to sit down with and just pick their brain to kind of, to find a hidden technique or something like that? Who would, who would you feel that that would be the one the big conversation? Hmm. Hmm. For me, it'd have to be either Alex Ross or Jack Kirby. Like they're my two favorite comic book artists of all time. Um, I just love the fact that Jack, you know, was like, he was a rock game of comic books. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> everybody was doing it one way until Kirby came along and just changed the script. And so I'm like, no, we can do it this way too, which is way better. Um, and then Alex Ross, like, I don't think anybody can touch him as far as, you know, his work goes. Um, we were talking about that kingdom come earlier and I have the, you know, the, the graphic novel where he actually has a few pages in the back that kind of gives you his, uh, technique. And one of the things I learned from him that I would, you know, didn't really think about before was his use of reference. Um, a lot of times Jack, you know, or, uh, Alex will have people, you know, pose in the actual clothes. Like there's a part where he's, uh, you know, looking at a panel he drew for, uh, for dark side sun. And what he did is he got a friend dressed up in the exact same outfit, do that exact same pose, and just look at the camera. And I'm like, that's genius. You know what I'm saying? Like, drawing through your imagination is great. But then also with, you know, doing that, I'm like, man, I, I don't know why it's something so simple that I never thought of doing before. I can just have somebody stand in the pose I want to draw and just draw that pose, you know? Uh, so I think that's that's great. And just like the way he, you know, his technique in painting is second to none. So him and Kirby, I would just like to pick their brains and kind of see, you know, how it ticks. Yeah, for me, um, I'm fortunate that I'm from San Diego, so I've, mm -hmm. I've had access to Comic Con for pretty much since you know, <laughs> like, since I lived here. You've got exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I, you know, as far as like you know, who I would love to pick the brain of, I've been to plenty of panels with like Neil Gaiman, where he's described his creative process. I've been able to watch artists draw in artist alley or at the you know various like. Um, industry booths, but um, if there's one person, like as far as technique and artistically, if I could just just not even ask questions, but just look over their shoulder all day and watch them draw and watch them animate, Glenn Keane is at the top of my list. Um, I love his character design. Uh, if you ever if you've ever seen or have a chance to look for his stuff on YouTube, as far as like the pencil test from Tarzan mm -hmm. and how he how he um, how he attacks anatomy and motion and acting is, is amazing and brilliant to me. I mean, um, he was one of the big, he was one of the big reasons before I even knew who he was that I wanted to get into animation. And it was because of the little mermaid. Um, you know, back then, you know, early nineties, teenage boy, I wouldn't have admitted, yeah, I'm a big fan of the little mermaid man. I love <laughs> songs all day and all that. But you know, I love the music and aside from that, but what struck me was Ariel. She carries the movie barely speaking a word. You know, I don't know. She maybe speaks a total of maybe 10, 15 minutes in the whole movie. But the rest of the movie, she's emoting and acting because she can't talk. And for, for him to pull that off convincing, and you go through a whole journey, and like by the end, you're like, your heart is breaking with her. You know, and when she has that moment of triumph and she finally runs it, you're like, yes, you know, and it's like, and she hasn't said anything yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and that was powerful to me. And I was like, man, a drawing can do that. I mean, let alone to, to draw some, to animate somebody drawing from moving from point A to point B is like, that's already like crazy to me. Mm. And then you add like a shifting perspective to that. And then on top of that, you add anatomy and acting. That's, you know, that, that takes a special kind of mind that, you know, I've done it myself and I, and I can relate to how hard it is, but somebody on his level, I would just love to just be able to watch his process. And then, you know, Sticking with the animation in the animation vein, 
um, Hayao Miyazaki because mm. his process is whole, you know, I love his movies too, but his process to me was super interesting because I didn't realize until very recently, maybe one or two years ago, that he doesn't script, he doesn't write anything down, he, he storyboards everything. And mm. when, he, when they approve a pitch or a story or whatever, um, he's really doing the storyboards and then he hands off the storyboards to the production team and they animate that. And that's where they add in the dialogue and the scripting is through his storyboards. And um, if you've ever seen the documentary, um, I think it's the House of Dreams and Madness, um, mm. which kind of documents the the year leading up to his first retirement. Because <laughs> he's come out and done a couple of projects, but it was when he was doing a film called The Win. I think, I believe it's called The Win Also Rises about the guy who... Um, the engineer who created the Zero Fighters from from World War II, mm-hmm. which is which is ironic because he's he's very anti-nuclear, anti-war. You know, you can see it in his body of work, and that's his personal belief. But that's when I was like, you know, in part of the movie, everybody's got their heads down, they're trying to crunch for this deadline, and he's literally still trying to finish the storyboards of the movie. You know, and then um, he quietly finishes the final storyboard of the scene, and one of the producers in charge is like. Oh, you're done. They have like this little moment. They pop like a fake champagne bottle, and then he hands off the storyboards and is back to work. And I was like, "Wow, this guy doesn't." There's no manuscript. There's nothing typed, or there's no Bible. He's drawing it, and they're going off of that to create the movie. And that's fascinating to me. That's like to me, that's a crazy way to work. That you don't even have an ending in sight when you start the beginning. You know, so th- th- those are the two that I think I would get the most um if i could if i could oh sorry <laughs> if i could um if i could just like live in their world for a day vince and tom what is it that heroes united meant to you when uh the yuma art center came to you about this uh exhibition um for me it, it, was, it was a great opportunity um especially with um covid just hitting you know i was really missing um, the art scene and showing at the local galleries that I've been a part of. And twofold, like I mentioned earlier, it was really cool to to be invited that somebody outside of being local or outside of California even noticed my art. You know, that was kind of like the biggest like cool factor for me. I was like, oh my God, somebody like, somebody in Arizona, that's rad. And it's like, is this spam? Is this one of those like, <laughs> you know, princes that need money or something, you know? <laughs> and it was legit and it was so exciting to me. And on, on top of that, it's, you know, at the time, because of COVID, I didn't have a lot of outlet to, to share anything. You know, we were all still kind of figuring it out. And it was just a great opportunity to, to spark something and create, period. You know, you know just, just to get the, the, the creative juices flowing again for, for something um, like tangible. You know, like I, if, if, this, if this COVID thing wasn't happening, you know, you... You, you, you bet your butt I would have drove to, to Yuma you know, <laughs> to, to attend the gallery and attend the opening because it would just been so cool. And not just that, um, the missing component to me too is um, missing, missing mingling with other artists of the show in that opening, you know, meeting people, having an, having an opportunity to meet all of you, you know, and, and also the other artists that, would, that would, would have been able to attend to mingle and, and say like, what inspired this? You know, what inspired that? And I'd been wanting to do another, you know, Spider-Man piece, and this is a great excuse to do one. So, and the fact that another gallery would want to do a pop culture 
um, show centering around comics. Again, you know, I love that, especially in the recent years, that comic books and just the sequential art form and animation are starting to finally get their props within this country, in the U.S., as a legit art form. It's not just kid stuff. You know, it's a legitimate form of expression along with writing, along with painting and all that other stuff, you know. And um, it, was very, it was very validating to, to get that invitation to participate. I would say uh, probably the same, you know, like uh, validation is a big part of it. Um, when they told me they were doing the show, I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like I never, like I've been to a lot of galleries and stuff and, you know, always, you know, seen other paintings and stuff, but never something that was comic centric. Um, so the fact that they were doing something like that, I thought was a, a great idea and just like honored to be a part of it. You know, like, um, like I said earlier, like, you know, I've always been kind of punk rock with everything I do and, you know, oh, at the establishment, I don't really care about that. And I never really thought that my work would ever be in a gallery, you know? And then, you know, Vincent hits me up and asks me, I'm like, man, this is great. Yeah. Like I was never anti-gallery or anti anything like that. Um, I just never thought that the work I did would be in a gallery. So the fact that it is, is great. And uh, yeah, man, like I, I uh, wish the cover wasn't here. So that way I could have met Vincent in real life. And then, you know, that, you know, there could be people going there and seeing it like in, in the normal way. But I think right now, given the situation, we're doing it as safe as we can. And I'm just glad that it's up, you know, anything that uh, brings art to the community, I'm all for it. So to just be a part of it is something that uh, I never thought would happen. So, so thank you guys. And Vince, uh, what's the, the best way for people to find you online right now? So uh, you can find my work on my website, which is I point to anybody that wants to collaborate or has any kind of like uh, thing they want to do. My website is eggdropramen.studio. Um, all my social media is at eggdropramen, all one word, and it sounds like it's spelled um, E-G-G-D-R-O-P-R-A-M-E-N. Um, and yeah, and that's how you can get at me. And Tom, how about you? How, how can people find you and your work online? Um, well, uh, on Facebook, uh, I'm just my name, Thomas Fernandez. So if you want to look me up on there, there's a few of us, uh, I'm the pretty one. <laughs> and then, uh, if you want Instagram, I believe it's BDS Fresh. uh, look it up on there on Twitter. Uh, I believe I just changed my Twitter handle. I think it's, uh, GN podcast Tito. I think I could be wrong. And then, uh, geek-network.com is our podcast website. Um, I have the comics up there for like uh, online reading. I need to go back and, and fix that though. So it's not uh, as pretty as it should be, but that's in the works. All right, Vincent, give us the details of the show right now. Okay. So <laughs> the whole key around the Heroes United show was to provide a form of healing and an escape in the midst of all the insanity that's been going on. Um, about six months ago, my boss approached me wanting to do a comic art show. And I got that ball rolling and then the pandemic hit and I was like, this is great. We can use this and we can roll with it. And so for both of you to touch on the, the whole healing factor in a couple different ways without me saying anything really means that I hit it on the head with having you guys work with me and provide art. Cause that, that's just like valid. You guys were talking about validation that validated my whole goal in the show which was awesome. to provide a healing factor in a very small way, give some folks an escape. Here's some comics. Here's some great art. Let's talk about both. And what are the details about the show that people need to know so that they can uh, either view it or come and see it? And Yeah, so for any folks that want to visit us at the UMR Center, uh, it's a visiting by an appointment basis right now, which you can make appointments on our website at cityofuma.com. 
Uh, you go to the Art Center page, and there you click buy tickets. They're free. It's just the little software thing that says buy the tickets. You go fill out some info, and that's how we can know which folks are coming in. And we can limit how many people are in just because of local mandate. We have to limit folks coming in and whatnot like that. But that's how they can get through there. All, they can also reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram. You just type in Yuma Art Center. We're the, we're the only one, so it pops up instantly. And how long is the show going? So, traditionally our shows last about three-ish months and then we take down. But because of everything and limited foot traffic and because it's appointment basis, when I reached out to everyone and asked if we could host it longer, we're going to host it till potentially next January. Also, I just want to thank everybody for being a part of the first UMART Center uh, Heroes United discussion. Uh, Tom and Vince for taking the time to not only provide their art, but also uh, come and be a part of this discussion. Thank you, man. No, thank you for having me. So if yeah, you, thanks guys very much. I appreciate you guys coming out. And yeah, we appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity, man. Seriously. Yeah. It's been cool. Right. So for geek elite media and the Yuma art center, always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.